following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. There's no need for that. Give it to him. Come on. He's worthy, not me. He is. Come on. Give it to him. Give it to him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You may be seated. You're awesome, awesome, awesome people. So a little boy comes into the barber shop, and the barber cutting hair of a man says, I want you to see this kid. It's the dumbest kid I've ever seen in my life. And he said, really? He said, yeah. So he holds out two quarters in this hand and a dollar in this hand. He said, son, which one you want? He said, two quarters. When the kid walks out, the, do- the barber says, see what I told you? He's dumb. So a little bit later, when the barber got through, he was walking down the street, saw this kid walking out of an ice cream shop. He said, son, why don't you ever take the dollar? You always take the two quarters. He said, sir, if I ever took the dollar, I know the game's over. <laughs> Dumb kid, wasn't he? He was 50 cent in that, that barber to death. I'm honored to be here tonight. I really, really am. Today is my, today's my precious wife's birthday. And, uh, I tweeted about her twice. You know, I don't do Facebook. I'm not an Instagrammer. I'm not a Facebooker. So when people preach about that, I just say, shovel it on back. I, just, I don't use that stuff. But anyhow, I, I tweeted about my sweetheart today, and, and uh, she, she had the big one today. She had a big one. She had a big one. She's out of the 50s. She had a big one. And, uh, and she felt ill most of the day. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> but it, it's kind of hit her hard. Uh, but she is such a trooper. We hadn't, we hadn't been together today. She got, we got up early this morning. My oldest girl had surgery today in Cedar Park, and so we went out there, and when she woke up from surgery, I stayed till about 1, and I knew I had to come back and get ready for tonight, and, and uh, Patty stayed. And uh, so I tweeted about her again, and I talked about the quality of woman she was, that on her, on her birthday, when she should be celebrating herself, she's taking care of one of her kids. I'm so glad I got lucky enough to marry that girl. I, 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 my... my uh, my life changed dramatically when I got Patty Jones in my life. So I honor her today, even though she's not here. Um, I think maybe we'll go to an IHOP or something later. She said, have you had anything to eat? I said, no, I've been waiting on you. She said, well, that's, that's kind. And I said, well, that's the least I could do is wait on you. But I am getting hungry. Uh, I, uh, I honor everyone that's here tonight. I, I, I want to I preface what I want to say tonight with, uh, with some words, if you don't mind. Just give me a little time. I'm not going to be lengthy, but I want to I be succinct. I want to be on point. Uh, when I got back from vacation, there was a lot of notes, a lot of things on my door, a lot of things on my desk that the staff just puts there. And I never, I never have seen so many notes of things that just realize that people are hurting. People are just hurting. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of suffering in the world. 
and uh, and I uh, I really do take that kind of stuff seriously. I I put my hands on those things. I pray for them. I hold them to my heart. I pray for them because I really care about people that I preach to. I I love you folks. That's not a, that I know you do. I know that. But but that's not that's just not what we do out there on the porch. I've got I've got elders. I've got I've got board members out there that's caught the caught the love and 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 it's just it's just a wonderful powerful thing. And when I read about people, when I see when I see John Garza's walking in the door tonight and he's suffering, he's suffering with cancer, he's suffering. And he's in he's taking all kinds of treatments for it and yet he's got a smile on his face and he's hurting. That moves me when I read that somebody needs me to come by and pray for them because mom is dying of cancer that moves me we buried a man son a Monday we buried a man named Glendon Booth Jr. and his kids are here tonight he left a little 12 year old a 10 year old and an 8 year old behind he was 42 years of age died of pancreatic cancer and I don't know when I've seen abject hurt like I saw on those babies at the gravesite. Uh, I hugged them tonight. I, I hugged them real tight. I, I took the breath out of them tonight. I want those kids to know that they're loved here. Amen. Suffering hurts. Suffering hurts. And we have people that are hurting. And so I know I'm going to introduce grace tonight, but I'm going to introduce it in a unique way because the rest of this month, after Brother Torrens through next week, we're going to talk about grace. We're going to talk about this beautiful thing called grace, and everybody needs it. But tonight, I'm going to introduce it in a very unique way. In 2004, a man named Mel Gibson created a film called The Passion of the Christ. Anybody watch that? It was when I released my book, Palm and Willow, that same year. I released my book in March, and that, that, that film was shown in February. So it was right after that. I'd written on that book for two and a half years. And, uh, and God gave me something. God, God, God put something in my spirit. And I want to call it tonight. I want to call it tonight. My subject is when God speaks in an unknown tongue. Hollywood got angry with Bill Gibson. He shopped his film about the final 12 hours of Christ's life. He called it the Passion of the Christ. There was no takers for his film. A little surprise here. Don't ever confuse Holly with Holy. <laughs> the film was unique in that the Romans spoke Latin and the Jews spoke Aramaic. English subtitles were provided. But this challenge challenges history somewhat in that the most common language in Christ's day, even in Hellenized Palestine, and Hellenized simply means people who were not the, uh, not, were not the ethni ethnicity of the people, but they spoke the language of the people, was Greek. Pilate instructed the inscription over Christ's head to be rendered first in Greek and followed by Latin and then Hebrew. Greek was probably the most recognized language of the day. And regardless, there's one sentence uttered in Mel's Messiah, which will not differ from that found in our Bibles. Toward the end of our Lord's final hours, he uttered an Aramaic phrase that is found in our Bibles today. And it's, I'm going to read it from Mark 15. You'll see it on the screen. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three hours, there was abject darkness. 
And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Question mark. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calls for Elias, or Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he gave up the ghost. It's been a long time since I preached about something this this serious on a Wednesday night, but i got to talk. When Jesus cried... In the Aramaic tongue, either his speech was so strangled by his suffering or the language itself was not understood. But the crowd misinterpreted Christ. They thought he called for the prophet Elijah. And in the same sense, people misunderstand the language of suffering people today. They misunderstand it. Suppose you were asked to build something that would last for a hundred years. How would you build it? Certainly you would use materials that would last, wouldn't you? Say amen to that. Lumber would last for a while. Treated lumber would last longer. But building for a century would seem to require metal and perhaps stone for it to last that long. Lasting stuff must be tough. It must be hard. It must be invincible. Yet when God made man who can last for a hundred years, he didn't use metal. He didn't use stone. He didn't create man with an exoskeleton like a, a crustacean. Man was born minus the tough outer shell. God put the rigidity of bone within him, but the soft tissues of nerves and muscles and flesh and bluebell stomachs and all that was on the outside. Man is easily hurt. Man is easily wounded. Sticks and stones do hurt us. Words, those soft sounds, vibration detected by mortal ears hurt too. Man feels Man senses and man suffers. It's nice to think that we're all above it. We may think ourselves impervious to life's slings and arrows. We think we're rocks. We think we're strong. We think we're invincible. But the kryptonite of crisis unnerves us many times and Superman quickly becomes the underdog. We lose all resolve in the face of adversity. You can say amen because you know it's true. We focus more on the winds and the waves that are boisterous that Peter focused on instead of the one that's coming to us to save us on the water. And like wayward sheep attracted by the green grass of elsewhere, we wonder at the sound of the tempter's voice. That's why Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm a wretched man. We're not as strong as we think. We're easily bruised. We easily break. Stamped on the weak exterior of our lives is the stigma, fragile, handled with prayer. And I do not pretend to understand why we suffer. I find the stoic argument unsatisfactory when they say, that's life, deal with it. That's what they say. Nor do I find the sadistic argument tenable. Pain is weakness leaving your body. I am not content to paint silver linings on dark clouds with a Pollyanna attitude, wishing suffering to the ether of non-existence. So let me say it plain. Mankind suffers. I suffer. You suffer. We all suffer. Be we sinner or saint, rich or old, young or old, rich or poor, we all suffer. And if there's any consolation, our text shows that both God and man suffer 
likewise. I want you to write these down if you would. I'm going to put six serendipitous benefits of suffering or to suffering on the screen. Number one, suffering affords us the opportunity to grow. Say, it causes me to grow. Suffering causes me to grow. When you suffer, you grow. The apple trees in the northwest, over time, there's more bark on them than fruit. And so to remedy this, the tree has to be pruned. And the apple tree, sensing that life is in jeopardy, begins to bear fruit, huge amounts of fruit, because there's something about the pruning. There's something about pruning that affords that apple tree the opportunity to grow. The second thing that suffering assists us in is drawing us toward another world, otherworldliness. Gets all of us sometimes. Suffering keeps this world in perspective. Some of the greatest spirituals ever sung were penned in the strange, distant country called suffering. You know as well as I do that many times we wander away from that world we're headed to. We wander away from the world of what God has around us. And we go to those other worlds and God says, no, i got to bring you back. You're going to suffer a little bit so we can understand that it assists us to draw us toward the right world. The third thing that suffering does, it causes us to empathize with others who suffer. One chief cord, folks, that binds us together is empathy. I love the empathy of this church. Not only do I love the sympathy, I love the empathy. I love people that really feel what they feel about other people in this house, feeling what others feel. As Paul wrote the second letter to the Corinthians. He said, we comfort the hurting with the same comfort we found in the midst of our own hurt. Some of you have been hurt. Raise your hand say, that's right. And because you've been hurt, when somebody you know is hurt, you can go help them with their hurt. I love that kind of person. You don't stand on the sidelines saying, get over it. You say, I'm here to help you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to assist you. The fourth thing that suffering brings, to our, brings us to our knees. King Manasseh in the Old Testament, you need to read about him. His altar was built only when he suffered. When he went into suffering, did he build an altar unto God. And the fifth thing that suffering brings is dependence upon God. One man said it best. He said, God often puts us in situations that are too much for us so that we will learn that no situation is too much for him. Hallelujah. Can you say amen to that? I don't care how tough it gets for us. There's nothing too tough for the God that I serve. And the sixth thing that suffering brings is glory to God. It brings glory to God. Simon Peter said that faith's trial is more precious than gold tried with the fire. Fire purifies the gold and suffering purifies the saint. Peter said it in 1 Peter 1 and 7. Simply put, our response to suffering either propels us to the heights of faith and trust in God or it can cause us to sink into the swamps of bitterness and self-pity. Suffering calls for response. Correctness of response in critical situations is important. Yet in spite of knowing all about suffering, there's an aspect of suffering that always catches us off guard. I'm fixing to talk to us now. Let me take you back when the sun went down at high noon. Do you know that the sun went down at high noon when Jesus was on the cross? It didn't, it didn't shine for the space of three hours. But can I tell you about the grace of God? After the third hour, the sun shined again. The creator of everything. Hanging on that cross. His word formed everything. He was the word. He was the word made flesh. It was Jesus dying on the cross. And when he was dying and they were mocking him, the sun didn't shine. And it looked like, you know, if, if, I'd, have been, if I'd have been him, I'd have said, it'll never shine again on you. 
But for three hours, it didn't shine. Then he said, oh, just let it shine again before I die. I love the grace that God has for all of us. Some of us need to understand that the sun may not be shining in your life right now, but it will shine again because the Messiah is in control of your life. There was an inky black darkness that enveloped the world as the Creator was crucified by those He had created. And after three hours of darkness, you've got to get this now. Jesus quoted the words of the 22nd Psalm. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's in the 22nd Psalm. So here's what I want to preach. I want to preach three great points here. Three great points. Number one, suffering always surprises us. At Calvary, the omniscient one, that means the know-all God, the omniscient one, he knows all, seems to have been caught off guard. Jesus, the one who boldly stated, I must be about my father's business, now seemed ill-prepared for the treatment he received. He's dying with a question on his lips. At Golgotha, the omnipotent one seems to all of a sudden be weak. Omnipotence means simply that I am the most powerful being of all creation. And the one who holds all power in his hands had 12 legions at his disposal, feels forsaken, alone, and abandoned in suffering. If suffering stunned Jesus Christ, there's a greater likelihood it will do the same for all of us. But I'm going to tell you before you get out of this world, you're going to suffer sometime in your life. And that's why I'm preaching this message tonight. Because when you suffer, there is a sovereign who will come to your aid and take you where you need to be. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. In fact, 1 Peter said it in chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange things happen to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. Everybody say, I'm a partaker of Christ's suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. Suffering seems a strange thing to each of us. Americans, many people say, shouldn't suffer. This is a land of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. But kids getting killed in our school, can I talk a little bit? People dying for no reason on our streets. A hate that is filled in America. There's people that are suffering tonight because of something that happened tragic in their life. And it may come to your house before you know it. But I want to declare something to you. We all understand that we don't have suffering in our sights. Suffering comes though like a bolt out of the blue. A phone rings. The doctor says, could you come to my office now? A letter in the mail. A knock at the door. A severe look from the boss. Suffering enters. A clearing of the throat followed by words, honey, we need to talk. It happens so, so fast. The police come to your door. Your child is out that night. He comes to your door, knocks on your door, and you still open the door. And he says, I have news. It's not good news. And you understand that perhaps you'll never see your child again. Suffering quietly comes in velvet slippers. Each footfall is silent. Each echo is like thunder. It's easy for us to read the book of Job, but it's hard for us to live the book of Job. Job was trusted with tragedy. Heaven knew in advance. Earth had no clue. 
a quartet from hell sang to Job on that fearful day. And each voice was followed by the same chorus. And here's the chorus. While he was yet speaking, there came also another. That's the chorus. The Sabaeans, the first voice said, took your oxen. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another. Lightning destroyed your sheep, and as he was speaking, there came also another. Chaldeans have taken your camels, and as he was speaking, there came also another. And then the most telling, a strong wind struck your house, and all your children are dead. Suffering comes in waves. The psalmist cried, all thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. Pastor, when are you going to turn this around? Stay with me. The world crashes in, and we can't breathe. And when Job's world crashed in, Heaven's estimate of this man was revealed for all to see. The devil said, let me touch him. Let me touch him. And God said, go ahead. Go ahead and touch him. But when you get through touching him, I'm going to tell you one thing. He will not deny me. He will not denounce me. He will not walk out on me. Woo! And the moment hell's quartet quit howling, Job opened up heaven's gates in Job chapter 1. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell out on the ground and worshiped. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how hard suffering is. I don't care how long the toll is. You get out of your house. You get on your feet. You raise your hands and you worship the God of heaven because he gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Somebody help me preach. I want to know what heaven's estimate of you is. If that happened to you, could you clap your hands and fall down and praise him? Could you sing songs of Zion? Could you worship with all you have? That's what it's all about. Heaven's estimate of you is higher than many of you have of your suffering. Oh, that we might be like Job and we worship. Oh, that we might be like Jesus and cry to the heavens. The crowd that day misunderstood Jesus. They didn't understand his language. They thought he was calling for Elijah. Suffering not only surprises us, it mystifies us. The second point I want to tell you is not only does suffering surprise us, suffering's hard to understand. Say it's hard to understand. I find it intriguing that no one understood Jesus. Oh, we're going, we're going to tell you something in a minute here. The multitude thought he was calling for Elijah. Elijah was the golden prophet of Israel. And Israel's folklore contained many legends of Elijah appearing on several occasions and doing great things of miraculous power. And the crowd's appetite was whetted with the possibility of Elijah's appearance. Give him some vinegar, somebody said. Give him some vinegar. Come on. Let's keep him alive to make sure we see if Elijah shows up or not. Give him some vinegar. We all have heard the bromides offered to those who suffer. Keep a stiff upper lip, people have said. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, you got to get up. Lash out at those that hurt you. You must have done something bad to deserve this. All you need is a little faith. Numb the pain. We've heard all that stuff. It's come into our life. Yeah, give the hurting a little vinegar. And maybe a miracle will show up in their life. And what the crowd failed to see was that Elijah had already shown up. It came a few days earlier at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. 
he had already talked to the master about his impending death that would come. See, we seek a miracle to escape suffering when perhaps God would give us a miracle to endure the suffering. Now, I know, I know this sounds, and and please forgive me for using this, this sounds like I'm from the Catholic background right now, that you make your way to heaven through the suffering of life. But I am tired. I'm tired of praying for people that are going through suffering without having some explanation for it. It's time for you to understand that when you suffer, there's a sovereign that is your Savior that's there with strength. And I want you to know that. We don't have to do this by ourselves. Come on, clap your hands. You don't have to do this by yourself. You've got a God that can help you. When Daniel faced the lions, he faced open windows toward Jerusalem. Heaven knew before hell came. (laughs) Do you understand what I just said? Heaven knew before hell came. Do you get that? Heaven's never going to be surprised by what you have to go through. And so when you get something on you, understand it has to go through the hands and the voice of the almighty God of heaven. Because hell cannot curse what God has blessed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But let it not said when man is tempted, he's tempted of God. Don't say that. But I promise you, heaven knows before hell hits you. And if heaven knows before hell hits you, heaven's just waiting on your response. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I'm about to lose my mind up here. Paul on the Damascus Road, heaven struck him down. He suffered immeasurably. The courageous defender of truth discovered that Jesus was God and that he had inadvertently been hurting the Lord by persecuting the Christians. And while he was blinded by the light, you got to get this, God spoke to a preacher named Ananias. Once again, Hellenized form of Hannah. Both mean, you ready for this? Grace. 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 God told grace. Paul is praying. God shared a secret with this man named Grace. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my namesake. God knew Paul. He knew what brought out the best in Paul. However, God knew that no man could suffer alone. So God sent grace to Paul. Don't ever think that anything that you're going through, you're going through it by yourself. God's got somebody named Grace coming your way. He's got a grace package coming your way. He's sending a care package called grace coming your way. And grace will be sufficient for any suffering that you go through in this life because he is the grace package. Woo! Grace found Paul in the darkness. Grace came to him while he was helpless. Paul Paul learned God's secret. In years to come, Paul had this thing that attacked him, his thorn in the flesh. And he asked three times for it to be removed from him. And the Lord simply said, my grace is sufficient. And let me say something, folks. If you think you're going to walk through this life, especially in the day and time that we're living right now, 
without going through a little hurt in your life? You are dreaming, Peter Pan. You're in never, never land. You're going to have man that's born of woman, but a few days and full of trouble. And I sound like a negative preacher. But with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hallelujah. I'm just telling you that when this stuff comes, get ready. God's coming right behind it. Because heaven knows before you ever get hit what's going to hit you. So just fall down and worship him and watch heaven bring you where you need to be in your life. When heaven speaks in an unknown tongue of suffering, it's always for a reason. We may not understand, but grace will be sufficient. Some of you need a certain word from the Lord. So here's, here's my last point today. Suffering needs a word from the Lord. Brother John Garza, I'm going to give you a word today. Jesus' cry that day was not one of desperation. They mistook him. They misunderstood him. It was an exclamation of faith. The dying living word was quickened by the written word. What he had caused men of old to write in the Psalms, the living word began to be moved by the written word. And a phrase from the suffering king recorded in the 22nd Psalms came to his lips. The 22nd Psalms is framed with the 23rd and the 24th Psalm. We call it the Messiah's Trilogy. The 23rd shows the Lord as our shepherd. And we don't need a thing. The 24th reveals him as our glorious king. And there's nothing greater than the king of kings and the Lord of lords in our life. Stay with me now. In the 22nd, the Savior is seen as suffering. His joints, his bones are out of joint. His heart is melted like wax, 22 and 14. His strength is gone. He's facing death, 22 and 15. His hands are pierced. His feet surrounded by the wicked, 22 and 16. His garments are parted. His lots are cast, 22 and 18. Jesus knew where he was in the written word. And when suffering comes, you've got to know where you are. You're just one chapter away from the Lord is my shepherd. You're just two chapters away from the king of kings that's fixing to come down and work you over. That's where you are. Psalm 22 would pass. Psalm 23 would dawn. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Suffering can be endured with a word from the Lord. And the insight to Calvary that day was so powerful that the writer of Hebrews quoted the 22nd Psalm when he said that the suffering Savior would sing a song in the midst of the congregation. When did Jesus sing? I'm fixing to wrap it up. You ready for this? He sang a hymn on the way to Gethsemane. Yet it seems that the cross, Christ on the cross, Christ sang as well. Of his seven sayings on the cross... Only one comes close to a song. He sang the psalmist song in Psalms 22. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Could it be what we thought was humanity's weakness was actually a song from the lips of the suffering Messiah? It's very likely. After all, 
the superscription to the 22nd Psalm said that the song was to be sung by the chief musician. Everybody say the chief musician. Upon Ajaleth Shehar, or the dawning of redemption. So the chief musician at the dawning of redemption was to sing the song of Psalms chapter 22. And on Calvary's darkest day, the chief musician wished people to know that redemption was dawning. Not that he was all by himself, but that redemption was on its way. Jesus probably struck up the first verse of redemption song when he said, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And he did not have the strength to finish the song, but the last verse goes something like this, Psalms 22 and 31, declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Suffering, folks, is for a reason, but suffering also has a refrain. Our redemption was the reason. Now the redeemed will finish the song that he sang on the cross. Yeah. You thought he was begging for mercy. He was singing a song with everything he had in agony, saying, I understand this. I get it. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? But I know one thing. I'm the Redeemer, and the Redeemer's going to sing the song, and redemption is alive today. And I don't care who you are or where you come from or what door you walked in. When you walked in this house tonight, Jesus has a redemption song for you. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through pain and agony. You get out of your house. You stand on your feet. You lift your hands, and you worship him and sing the song of redemption. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother John, I love you. I love your sweet wife, Glory. I love you. And I call your name tonight because I want you, Brother John. I want you to sing songs in the midnight. I want you to worship him when you don't have any strength. Because God has left you here for a reason. And who knows that when you start singing that redemption song... The blood of the Lamb has redeemed me. When you start singing that redemption song, who's to know? Who's to know that your healing just might come when you sing and finish the redemption song that Jesus started from Psalms 22 on the cross? Somebody say glory to that right now. Hallelujah. 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 My dad. Brother Randy, if you'll help me, I'm, I'm done. My dad, my dad suffered with colon cancer when he was 67. It doesn't seem right because I'm 68. I know I don't look it, I look about 52. That I promise you sometime I feel 68. But not tonight, boy, I feel, I feel 52 tonight. 
But my dad, my dad had chemo, chemo treatments, had 52 of them in a year. He had one every week on a Tuesday, and sometimes he was so weak when he came home. My dad was a, mother called him a decent singer. She was the professional. She told everybody that. And she was a professional singer. And we was at a, we was at a family reunion with them. Last time we saw him as a whole family, and Reed remembers this, and we wanted Granddad to sing, and Mama kept singing over him. <laughs> and we finally said, Grandma, we don't want to hear you. We want to hear him. And so he started singing. She started harmonizing. You, some people just can't hush. <laughs> but I remember, I remember calling my dad when he was going through sir, this, uh, this chemo. And he, he whipped it. He whipped it. He, he died 18 and a half years later, and it wasn't, it wasn't cancer that took him. But my dad said, son, he said, you know what? He said, I, 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 I get that chemo. I, Mama brings a little lunch. We go to, the, go, to, go to the city, and on Tuesday, get that chemo. And, and Mama, Mama brings a little lunch, and I may not feel like eating it sometime. But said, when I get home, I lay down, I take a nap. I said, now get up, and I always want to shower. He said, when I get in the shower, he said, I, I, I like to sing. And he said, singing just blesses me. And I said, Dad, can you imagine how it blesses the Lord? Here's somebody like you that is afflicted with this stuff, and you're battling for your life, and you're singing a song of redemption? He said, never thought about it that way, son. And I remember when I'd go see him, I'd, I'd huddle by the bathroom door. And he'd always be singing in that shower. And I wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder if God just lets hell know that there's some people that when suffering comes, they're going to sing in the shower. <laughs> They're going to go ahead and just do it. Just do it. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that's, the, that's what turned my dad's health around. I don't know. But I got a feeling. When God gave me this in 2004, I got a feeling. I got a feeling. That singing unto the Lord and giving him worship and praise in the middle of your suffering does something to God. It does something to God because, all, understand, heaven knows before hell ever gets a clue. Heaven knows before hell hits. Heaven knows before hell hits. And when heaven knows, you've got a God in heaven that's there for you. I close tonight. I close tonight. In 1871, tragedy struck the city of Chicago. It was a devastating fire. 300 people died. 100,000 people were homeless. There was a man named Horatio Gates Spafford who was one of those who tried to help people back in the city back on their feet. Spafford was, a, was an attorney in Chicago who had invested much in the growth of that city. And he was motivated by the homeless and by the deprived. After two years of grueling work, he wanted to take a vacation, so he decided to go to England. He sent his wife, Anna, and the four children, daughters, all ahead. He would come later. And their ship never made it. It sank off the coast of Newfoundland 
after colliding with another ship. It went down in 20 minutes. Anna, his wife, was saved. The children all died. And she sent a telegram to her husband, simply said, saved alone. She was the only one that made it. It is said that when he came to the place where his daughters had died, he wrote one of the most beautiful songs ever sung. I'm going to read you the lyrics of it. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. It is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet. Though trials should come. Lest this blessed assurance control. Let this blessed assurance control. That Christ hath regarded my helpless estate. And hath shed his own blood for my soul. He lives, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And, Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight, and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trumpet shall sound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well. With my soul. Would you stand to your feet tonight? David wrote a psalm and he called it Night Sayings on a Harp. Can I tell you that God does his best work in the dark? Can I tell you, you may not be in the light tonight. You may be suffering from something in your family. But God can give you night sayings on a harp. He can give you a song in the night. He can heal you tonight. He can turn your life around tonight. Nobody, nobody can do me like Jesus can. It is well. It is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I plead with you. I strongly urge you. To walk out of this house tonight and don't leave what you heard behind. Take it home with you. When Jairus came to ask the Lord about healing his daughter, she was only sick then, but they told him, your daughter's dead now. But the Bible said he came and worshipped the Lord, even though he did not, he did not understand the Messiahship. He worshipped him. And when Jairus started to go home. Jesus followed him home. Listen, if you'll worship the Lord in your sorrow, your suffering, he will follow you home. And he'll walk in to your house and the things that you thought were dead will rise up and the things you thought were history will be present day again. Nobody can do you that way but Jesus. He had the redemption song. He was the master singer of the redemption song. Can we sing it with him?
Can we sing it with him in our lives? I love what you did for me at the cross. Bow your heads. Take somebody's hand beside you there. Let me bless you, dear Father, in the name of the Lord. I honor you tonight with my mind. I honor you with my heart. I honor you with my spirit. I honor you with my body. I honor you with everything that I have. I give you my all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you because you sang a song that day on Calvary. And they thought you were in trouble and you were trying to let us know that the Lord, our shepherd, was coming and the King of Kings was coming if we'd only learned to sing the song in our suffering times. The shepherd will arise and the King of Kings will make his appearance. Now bless us tonight and let us walk out of here understanding that grace is for us. And if grace is for us, we got the world we got the world because God is with us. And we understand where we're headed because God is going to help us. Would you lift your hands all over the house and say, I receive the word tonight, Pastor. Say it. I receive the word. I receive the word tonight. Thank you for the word. 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 Thank you for the word.